0: and these are the stories of the heart of the community in the Heartland. This series brings to life the oral histories of journalists in North and South Dakota, newspaper legends who devoted their lives to covering their rural communities. By now, a few have passed on, but all of their legacies endure, and their history is forever preserved in the newspapers they leave behind, as well as through these stories. These episodes are sponsored by the North Dakota Newspaper Association and the South Dakota Newspaper Association. Since the 1880s, both have advocated for the public's right to know, and for the importance of newspapers in a democracy. There are major moments in history that you never forget. The Great Depression.
1: Dust would fill up the ditches, and then the the thistles would lodge in the fences, and then the and then the wind would blow the dust. We had drifts, like snow drifts, dust over the fences. Pearl Harbor.
2: My reaction was to run outside, and I had a flag <coughs> where that I flew every day uh, out in my backyard. I ran outside, and I put, put the flag up, and uh, saluted the flag, and then went back in to eat. That was my reaction to Pearl Harbor Day.
0: Franklin Roosevelt's death.
3: He said, he told me and I'm a 12-year-old. He said, did you hear that Roosevelt died? And I still remember stiffening up,
4: uh, you know, uh, the shock of it.
0: The Kennedy assassination.
4: That was devastating and huge, and we all remember where we were and
0: In this episode, our journalists reflect on the memories they have of media history as they grew up. For Noel Hamill, news has been a constant in his family since the early 1900s.
4: And we read newspapers religiously in my family. We always subscribed to the, in our case, the Mitchell-Daily Republic. Um, From the day that my grandfather came to South Dakota in 1909, we've subscribed to the newspapers.
0: Verlin Hofer recalled how different the media environment was when he was growing up in the 1920s and 1930s.
1: Well, I suppose, you know, newspapers were were it. I mean, that that, that was mostly it. And the greatest difference was... How big is the circulation and how many times a week has it come out?
0: One of his earliest news memories was of the Powderhouse explosion in Sioux Falls, South Dakota in
1: 1936. Did you ever hear about the Powderhouse explosion in Sioux Falls? Mm-hmm. When these criminals
5: uh,
1: lit a fuse to this dynamite in this storage place where they kept dynamite? And blew it up and it was a the explosion was so big that it, it registered on Richter scale all over the country. And it blew out windows all over Sioux Falls. And we felt it here in Lenox. I remember sitting in the living room when that thing hit my mother says, oh, somebody run into our porch with the car. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, that's a long, long story. Can't go into all the details about the personalities involved. But anyway, that that was really a big thing.
0: According to the Argus leader, the powder house blast involved a group of thieves who ended up murdering one of their own and trying to cover it up. Larson's hardware powder house stored nearly 8,000 pounds of blasting powder and 6,000 pounds of dynamite when it was detonated with Floyd Parker's dead body inside.
1: Another big news event of the area was when supposedly John Dillinger robbed a bank in Sioux Falls. And then, of course, a lot of weather-related stories, you know, snowstorms, droughts, uh, crop failures, WPA relief programs. Those were tough times in the 30s. And that made the news. I would say, you know, my dad and other newspaper editors at that time, they tried to put the best face on everything that they could.
0: Those difficult depression years made a lasting impression on Hofer.
1: And we had relatives that lived up in the Kieran area and in Spink County and they just about starved to death it it was pathetic I remember going up there as a little just a little boy you know and seeing what they were going through dust would fill up the ditches and then the the thistles would lodge in the fences and and then the wind would blow the Dust, had drifts, like snow drifts, there dust over the fences. And the corn probably grew six inches and dry up, and, and they didn't even harvest any crops for, at all for several years. So I don't know how they even survived.
0: Not far away in Pierre, Marilyn Hagerty was struck by another major newsmaker of the 1930s the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. On March 1st, 1932, the son of famed aviator Charles Lindbergh was kidnapped from their home in New Jersey. Hagerty was about six years old at the time. And I remember the Bruno Hopman
5: kidnapping of the Lindbergh. Boy, that was a very big news story that made an impression on me. Um, Because... I remember walking home from school one night and I saw something up in a telephone pole and I I thought it had something to do with Bruno Richard Hopman and I was so scared. I mean it was just scary for kids to hear about the Lindbergh boy and that was big news. Of course Shirley Temple was our pride and joy. Every Sunday we'd try to go to a movie. We had friends who had a girl our age and We'd all go to the movies and watch Shirley Temple. Um, those are things that most everyone did in the 30s, in the
0: 1930s when I was, early 40s when I was growing up. Bob Lynn's family lived in Niagara, North Dakota, a town of just 207 people in the 1930 census.
3: We all listened to the radio and the news and and. Uh... And my, my dad took the newspaper, and uh, uh, that was it. I just remember we just, the, the radio was on a lot. And my, fo- my folks listened to, always caught the news, and, and I kind of got interested too. too but uh, again, that was it radio, and newspapers, magazines. Well, the big magazine I remember was Life Magazine. Lots of people took it. Um, that, was a, that was about it. We always watched, like on um, Sunday night, we always had <laughs> these Jack Benny and, and uh, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy and Ozzie and Harriet. And we all listened to the same shows. Between
0: 1933 and 1944, another familiar voice filled the radio airwaves that of Franklin Roosevelt and his fireside chats. The History Channel notes that 90% of Americans owned a radio in the 1930s. Roosevelt was must-listen programming for many families, no matter their political persuasion.
1: By saying my father was a dyed in wool Republican, and he didn't particularly like FDR. <laughs> but all things said... Uh, you know we have to give him his due he, he brought the nation uh, together pretty well
0: nothing could top the 62 million people who tuned in on December 9th 1941 to hear roosevelt's war message after the attack on pearl harbor
6: yesterday December 7th 1941 a date which will live In infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of
1: Japan. And my family, see, I was about 16 years old, and my family uh, had been invited to some relatives over by Canton. And so they thought they'd better keep that afternoon invitation. And so we got in the car. We had a car radio. And we listened to the car radio all the way down there. And when we got there, these people had their radio on. And all we did was sit there and listen to that radio all afternoon mm-hmm. to see what was happening over in Hawaii. And, so, and the next day... Roselle gave the big speech, you know, about uh, how'd he start out. Yesterday we were attacked, and goes on Well, anyway, it, uh, it was quite a traumatic time, and of us you remember.
0: Roger Casa was seven years old and had just sat down for dinner with his family in Northfield, Minnesota, when they heard the Pearl Harbor news.
2: My reaction was to run outside, and I had a flag <clears throat> where that I flew every day uh, out in my backyard. I ran outside and I put the flag up, and uh, saluted the flag, and then went back in to eat. That was my reaction to Pearl Harbor Day. I was very, I was very proud to be an American, and I was very. Uh, Unhappy with the fact that we were being attacked, and uh, uh, I I just felt sorry for the people that were being involved in the in the attack on Pearl Harbor.
0: In Illinois, Dick Lee's childhood was also heavily influenced by World War II.
2: Mm,
6: I do, I do remember uh, the coverage. and I really have very vivid memories of World War II. Uh, we had scrap drives in school and saved metal and went around looking for metal and rubber and things like that and built huge piles of metal in the schoolyard um, for scrap drives and uh, we went down every Friday and built bought U.S. bonds. And things like that. And I wrote about it a lot. And we played war a lot. I mean, we built little trenches and (laughs) wore helmets and
3: all of that sort of stuff. War was
6: very important to us.
0: The same was true for Bob Lind.
3: You know, from the time US got into it from Pearl Harbor in 41 until it ended in 45, that's when I was a kid, you know. But uh, it was all World War II. Uh, and the uh, the things the things that, that were associated with it, like rationing for for groceries and and gas and tires and uh, um, oh, and of course, and and the guys are going into the military. Uh, and you remember, I'm a kid in the '40s. I'm I'm not even a, well, let's see, I woulda, I've been the late, what, 41? I was, what, eight years old, you know? But, but it was, I, I, I do I, I do remember, I, I got, I started reading, the checking the newspaper, even as a kid, because I think maybe, probably primarily because of the war, everybody's talking about it. I got in, following the war, and, and learning about places that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise, but, but you know, the places in North Africa where the, where the early fighting was going, and, uh, and of course, uh, the fighting's in the, in the Pacific. I mean, who would've heard of Iwo Jima and Okinawa and so on if it hadn't been for the war? Well, I got interested, and the Minneapolis Tribune one time came out with a big map of the world, then they also printed a little Little flags of the countries involved in the war, both the Allied and the enemy, and you you cut out the flag, and you this little flag, and you 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 paste it on a, on a on a on a pin, and then you follow the news. You'd follow where the where the armies were, and if as the American or British soldiers moved into Libya, you'd stick a pin in there. You know, and then when they when they landed on D-Day on Normandy, well, we put a pin there. And so I remember, th- through oh, quite a long time, I was I had pins and I followed the war and I faithfully put the put those pins in to show where the where the uh, armies were fighting. And again, that was out of the newspaper, but it was, every, everything was World War Two, of course, and oh, of course guys from niagara went into the service and uh, i remember you know the older brother one of my friends was killed i think in france and i i remember going to the memorial service for him and
0: linda also vividly remembered april twelfth, 1945 the day franklin roosevelt died
3: i was born in 1933 in the, In in, in those days, the president was inaugurated on March 4th. I was born on March 2nd. I had Herbert Hoover for president for two days of my life, day one and day two. On the third day of my life, Roosevelt was inaugurated. And then, as you know, he was elected to four terms and he died in 1945. So then I was, what, 12 years old. And so that's the only president I knew you know, through 12 years of my life, in the news and anything else. Uh, and I still remember, I got out of school the day that it was April 12th, 1945. Uh, I got out of school and I went, to, I, had, I went down to the hardware store because my friend's dad owned it and I was looking for my friend. And I, and I walked into the hardware store, and my friend's owner, his name was Sig, he said, he told me, and I'm a 12 year old, he said, Did you hear that Roosevelt died? And I still remember stiffening up, uh, you know, I get the shock of it. Uh, yeah. and again, I'm, and I'm 12 years old, but I still remember. Well, then it's, then it's, you would. Terry, what, what makes it even more specific, April 12th was also my mother and dad's wedding anniversary. So Roosevelt died on their anniversary. And uh, so then I went home that night. You, you want all this? Oh, okay, well, I I went home that night, and I know my mom and dad had planned to go to a movie that night to celebrate, and I was a kid, oh, my two sisters were off in college, I guess, and I was the only kid at home, and so, Whatever they do they had to take their pesky kid along even on their anniversary they couldn't have a nice night of their own but the they, uh, they wanted to go to a movie of course we didn't have a theater in Niagara the closest one was in Larimore, down the road so they said and so I remember them saying well I wonder if they'll, if they'll have a movie that maybe they'll shut down because uh, Roosevelt's death so we went down there and uh, in front of the theater, and the owner of the theater was out in front sweeping the sidewalk, and the folks said, Bob, go, go ask him if there's a the movie on. So I ran up to him and asked him, said, will there be a movie tonight? He says, sure, sure, you know, why not? <laughs> you know, you know, I guess, you know, it's only the president's dead, you know. So <laughs> so my, my folks and I went to see the movie that night on celebrate their anniversary, but it was the day that Roosevelt died.
0: Truman Ness was 10 years old when the war finally ended.
7: I remember when the, uh, when the war was over, they declared that, that one day that... Uh, it must have been when Japan surrendered. You know, until the, the total war was over. Uh, it was in the afternoon, it was announced. So my oldest brother went to the Lutheran church and his friend went to the Presbyterian church and rang the uh, church bell for about an hour. So that that was a big thing in town.
0: After the war came the baby boomer era and the rise of television.
6: Radio was there and visible, but towns the size of mine didn't have radio stations. Really only larger cities had radio stations. Television really... At about the end of the war was just coming into view. Um, we used to go down Main Street, which was about two blocks from my house. And a person who had uh, an electric company, electric company an appliance company, would put a television with a speaker outside in his front window. And we would go over to the next door filling station got a coke case for 24 bottles of coca-cola empty and take it over in front of church and harvest and sit on it and watch television in the window i mean it was very new <laughs> and very local
0: linda seiler remembers the day her family got its first television
8: i remember funny the little things you remember i was about second grade and they brought our TV in from the from town to put up, and they'd crawl in the roof and put up the big antennas, and we'd get two stations, Bismarck and Dickinson. And Humpty Dumpty would, not Humpty Dumpty, Humpty Howdy Doody was always on. That was fun. And Before that, we'd go to the neighbors to watch TV because we didn't have a TV. It was a big deal, I still remember the day we got the TV. The fact that um, they had trouble getting a TV zeroed in on the right channel, because the TV screen had to be pointed just perfectly. And then we got to watch cartoons, dear God, and we'd watch the news, and I can't remember any of the movies. Oh, of course, Lone Ranger, Um, Roy Rogers, yeah, it was a good day.
0: Roger Bailey has memories of spending time with his father, watching political news on television.
1: Well, the, my, my most vivid memory of, of news back then was uh, staying up until the wee hours of the morning with my dad watching the national political conventions on television. I mean, this is Huntley and Brinkley, I guess, uh, in that era, and uh, and uh, it, it was exciting to me even back then, and uh, and, and and so meaningful to me to be watching them with my dad. I mean, he had to be up at seven in the morning and on the job, but, but some of those conventions, if I recall correctly, uh, lasted until three or four in the morning, and yet we, we hung with them right to the bitter end.
4: Oh, Walter Cronkite, of course. Uh, but he wasn't the only one. You know, we, we had so much trust in the avuncular Walter Cronkite But we also had Howard K. Smith over at ABC, and we had um, Huntley Brinkley on NBC, and these were all highly regarded professionals. CBS had, had more numbers, but these other stations had great followings as well because they were very much respected and trusted.
0: As television gained ground during the 1950s and 60s, the United States was once again at war. Richard Peterson remembers his confusion as a child, hearing about the Korean War, which lasted from 1950 to 1953.
9: Well, I was too young to remember World War II, but I do remember the newsreels um, that, that would tell about things after the war. And I remember that uh, the outbreak of uh, the Korean War, that was... Um, that was kind of scary, they were talking about the guerrillas and we, had, we thought that they were training wild gorillas to, to fight with the Americans, but of course that wasn't the case.
0: The early 1950s also brought the return of a Republican to the White House for the first time in 20 years. On September 16th, 1952, Dwight Eisenhower made a campaign stop in Northfield, Minnesota, which made an impression on a teenage Roger Casa.
2: The one thing that I remember most importantly was when when, uh, (coughs) Dwight Eisenhower came to to Northfield and uh, came to the Carrollton Stadium. The Carrollton Stadium is a huge, huge uh, uh, place with about uh, 500-seat stadium, and uh, he filled it when he came to Northfield, and the people, they just flocked to see him because he was then running for president and uh, it was fun to, to uh, experience that because that was my first real exposure to a national news person.
0: Moving into the 1960s, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Kennedy assassination, and the Civil Rights Movement dominated media coverage.
4: You know, the, the Cold War and the Bay of Pigs, and the Cuban Missile Crisis and Kennedy versus Khrushchev and all of that in black and white TV. Um, it seemed so far and yet so close because it was happening, it was a threat, the adults especially were concerned about it. Um, I don't think the kids lost any sleep over it. I mean, kids don't normally do that, but um, it was very real and may have had more of an impact in- impact on us than we thought at the time. Uh, but I never remember any insecurity or fear from those late 50s, early 60s
0: conflicts. John F. Kennedy's death on November 22, 1963, seared into the memories of millions of Americans who will never forget what they were doing when they heard the news.
4: That was devastating and huge, and we all remember where we were, and. We all remember leaving our classroom and going to the gymnasium and having our principal stand before us and tell us what had happened. Um, so that's 63 and I'm what a sophomore in high school, so that was the that was huge, and then I mean really, you know, the sixties were were pretty pretty traumatic, but I think that South Dakota, because we lived in South Dakota, we had a certain isolation and insulation from, say, the civil rights movement and the activities and the violence. And We saw some of that on TV, but that wasn't happening here. I mean, the black population in South Dakota at that time, and even to this day, is very small. So we didn't have those issues. We had different issues, but those came later—the conflicts with uh, American Indians and the AIM movement. But that didn't—that didn't occur until the '70s.
9: The biggest news thing that I remember in my lifetime, of course, was the assassination of Kennedy, and that was in '63. I had become the editor of the Benson County Farmers Press on November one, nineteen sixty three, and Kennedy was shot on twenty second. And uh, that that was the most traumatic thing that I've been through. To tell you the truth, Kennedy was so young, he was so vibrant, and uh, he was. Uh, quite well thought of by the populace, I think. And he had a beautiful wife and nice kids, and here this guy gets rubbed out. It's terrible, it was terrible. And we all felt the the pain of it. We we all felt personally that we were uh, damaged by this. it wasn't just somebody else that was killed. It was somebody that we thought highly of. So it was uh, it was quite traumatic. It was a, a couple weeks of uh, really really down stuff. I know when I heard about it, I I was in Devils Lake selling ads, and uh, after I heard that, why. I just went home, forgot about the ads. Good thing, I guess. Too. Yeah, it was it was it was tough, but the nation survived, and we can survive anything. I think if we can get through that.
7: I think I was in the office in one of our other towns, and the lady was there working. And uh, she heard it on the radio, and she was crying. And I think that was it happened to a lot, uh, to a lot of people. Um, but uh, yeah, he was uh, super popular as a as a person, I guess you might say, and and uh, so many people uh, thought of him as a friend that they didn't know. So. It was pretty emotional uh, for a big part of the country.
2: I remember when uh, P- President uh, was killed was, was assassinated, Kennedy. I was uh, at home in in Pierre, living in Pierre with my family. I was married at that point, and we <clears throat> I was listening to the radio, and the the news account came over the radio that uh, the Kennedy, Kennedy had been shot by uh, a man uh, in uh, Dallas, Dallas, Texas. And I remember uh, that was a horrible, horrible experience. And I remember I went back to work. I was working in Pierre at the time, and I was in the state, uh, one of the state houses. And uh, I went into the, into the building, and I went into my office, and there was nobody there. And I remember I went outside, and I w- went to find my boss to find out where he was at. And everybody was in the, was in the television room, watching the the account of the uh, assassination. And that was that really affected me deeply. Deeply affected me. And in fact, uh, I, 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 I just I can't explain it. It was just it was a horrible, horrible experience. Let's put it that way.
0: Mike Jacobs will also never forget that day.
10: <laughs> I was uh, I was uh, in geometry class, taught by Mark Sanford, whom I mentioned earlier, um, and they they uh, they interrupted the uh, class on the intercom. Uh, it was really abrupt. Uh, really abrupt because, of course, none of us had any idea, and they just turned the radio on. (laughs) So we heard news bulletins about the president having been shot. Um, We didn't have television. Um, So uh, we went into town to my Uncle Johnny's place and watched at their place, and watched uh, Oswald being shot uh, on live TV. Astonishing. Um, watched the funeral. Um, my mother was was I think particularly attached, attracted to Kennedy because of the Catholic connection, because because she had been raised Catholic. Um, so it was it was a big personal loss, um, as well.
0: More death and emotional upheaval followed in the 1960s with assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr., Bobby Kennedy, and Malcolm
8: X, as well as with the Vietnam War. I was in high school during the height of the Vietnam War. I watched body bags come off the airplanes. Um, I watched, I was a junior in high school the day I thought we were going to be in World War II because President Kennedy said, Khrushchev had to take his missiles away from Cuba. That was a big day. It was scary. So those were the two big events that I remember as a younger person is the Vietnam War. Well, I felt a little guilty because the TV would kind of... Did they put a spin on... it? We need to support our, um, we need to support our Americans. We need to support what President Lyndon Johnson was doing, and we were so against the war.
0: Jack Marsh was a college student at Baldwin-Wallace University in Ohio between 1967 and 1971, a time of anti-Vietnam War protests among college-age students. On May 4, 1970, four students at nearby Kent State University were killed and nine injured when the Ohio National Guard opened fire on war protesters.
11: Big anti-war movement going on, Uh, protests. You know, a lot of social upheaval, uh, a true social revolution was going on, and one of the reasons why it centered so much on college campuses was that we all had college deferments. The way the draft worked is, if you were, if if, if as long as you stayed in college, your, you, know, you, you, know, you, you you're, you're, the draft was deferred for you until upon graduation. So. Uh, you know, it was our generation being sent to Vietnam, and it was our generation that that uh, was, was truly impacted by it. And it was primarily, uh, you know, those who uh, who graduated from high school and did not go on to college. Those are the ones who pri- primarily went to Vietnam, not exclusively, of course. But uh, but there is this country was so. Uh, uh, divided in the, in that that period of the late sixties, I think about 1968, which was the end of my freshman year, the start of my sophomore year. Um, I mean, we had two major assassinations: uh, Martin Luther King, Bobby and Bobby Kennedy, in 1968. That was also the Tet Offensive in Vietnam, where the North Vietnamese basically invaded the South, caught us completely off guard. Uh, there were, you know, there were riots in the streets throughout the United States. Uh, major protests. Uh, uh, we were, as a nation, we were, and as a society, we were in tough, tough shape. When the Kent State uh, sh- uh, shootings, shootings occurred, uh, I was actually uh, along with some other student leaders at, from Baltimore. We were visiting uh, uh, a historically black college. In uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, called Philander Smith. Uh, we had gotten uh, a grant uh, where we, you know, we could go, uh, we went out of that campus and we met with their student leaders, and uh, it, was a, it was a very positive experience. But that's where we got the word about the Kent State shooting. And Kent State is a short distance from uh, Baldwin Wallace. Baldwin Wallace is in a, another suburb of Cleveland called Berea. Uh, so we we hightailed it back to uh, the Cleveland area, back to, back to campus. Uh, the impact was that uh, our school shut down. <laughs> uh, you had the option of, of taking an incomplete in every single class. You didn't have to go back to school and then you could finish up in the fall if you wanted to. But, uh, you know, we had massive protests. Uh, on our campus, just as there were on campuses all over the country, uh, one of the people who was uh, one of the men who was killed at Kent State, uh, his sister was editor of the yearbook, and so for her it was a you know, it was a per- it was a personal uh, t- personal tragedy. So she she left school uh, to be with her family. Uh, it. You know, I was in Ohio. Uh, yeah. A short distance away from Kent State, it had a profound impact. Uh, because if it could happen at Kent State, it could happen anywhere. You know, this wasn't a, Kent State University; wasn't considered a you know violent place or a place of
4: little
11: little with left-wing radicals. These were you know, these were young people who were protesting the draft, who were protesting the war, and things got out of hand.
0: If you enjoyed the stories in this episode. Think about what memories you have of important events in local or national history. Consider writing them down or recording them so that future generations will benefit from these stories. For the Dakota Journalist Podcast, I'm Terry Finneman with sound editing by Savannah Wakefield. And these are the stories of the heart of the community in the heartland.